Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Writers Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today, and I'm just here to tell you we're going to be talking a lot about punk rock and DIY shit, which is my favorite stuff in the whole world. On the program today, Nydia Hetherington, and she's here talking about her book, A Girl Made of Air. So there's a lot of stuff that we got to talk about today that I rarely get to talk about. Um, Nadia's first memories are from the Isle of Man. And weirdly, I have a friend that's from there. This is a very tiny place. And if you know anything about it, that's odd. So it was great when I saw that. Um, her family relocated to Leeds. Uh, and then she sort of had this sort of, you know, that childhood where she fantasized about fairies and the sea and all that stuff. And then in her 20s, she moved to London where she started acting and then Paris, where she kept up with the theater and doing all of that stuff. Uh, and eventually she became a clown. And that is um, not something that I have ever had on this show before, I think. She eventually went back to London and she worked at a shoe shop while she was studying creative writing, as one does. And like so many artists, she's had lots and lots of jobs from cafes and kitchens and offices. Most recently, she worked in an art gallery. She lives on the edge of London with her husband and cat. And you're going to hear a little bit about David Bowie from her today because she's a big fan. All that is to say, very eclectic, very fascinating, very fun. Punk rock as hell. It's going to be a good show. Before we get to that, a little bit of business. The Jam comes out every Wednesday. And this podcast series is out Mondays and Fridays-ish. A couple things you can do to help us out. First, tell your friends about us. Second, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review. And if you're listening through Apple, leave us a re written review as well. That is how we get found. That is how you can help us. You can always check out the Jam podcast series and the proper Jam over at thewritersjam.com. While you're there, if you're looking for a book to read, or wondering where to buy a book, you can do it through the site. We have book reviews up. We're reviewing books of people we've had on the show. You can click on our bookshop link. Whenever you do that, you support local and independent bookstores across the country. If all of that is too much to do, sign up for our monthly newsletter. And that will show up in your box on the first of every month with all of these recommendations. The other thing that you can do is support everybody on the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Click on that little Patreon button for just a couple bucks a month get commercial-free episodes, and all kinds of bonus content from people on the network. Now, I don't want to go too, too much into it because it's such a fun interview. 
Um, but if you've listened to the show, if you follow me on Twitter, if you hear me talk about anything like that Gen X time in my life, that like 80s, 90s DIY club underground make shit and don't worry about what it looks like aesthetic is when I think of my life, that was the time that I was most excited. That was the time that I felt most creative. Some of that is youthful energy, I'm sure. But other, the other side of that is it was a time when everybody had permission to do something. Not because you were given it, but because the tools existed for the first time that it was very easy to do your zine or whatever you wanted to do. And talking to Nydia just brought all that back. Like we went down a sort of, DIY cool weird art hole that I love and um I think you will too I hope you will too if you are not of that age you're going to hear stories of that age and she's just a lovely person and her personality is infectious and you will see that uh as you watch or hear that as you listen so I appreciate you spending some time with us today down here in the bunker Max and I are hanging out in northern Appalachia, so it's always nice for you to stop by. I hope that your day is going well and you're taking care of each other, and I hope that you will sit back for the next 35 minutes or so and enjoy my conversation with Nydia Hetherington. I was definitely, um, I wanted to be in theater from being um, a, a very small child, and it was, I think it was just this idea of the spectacularness of it all you know the magic of lights and all that kind of stuff which um I didn't see very much of when I was a kid we didn't go to the theater because you know I came from like a working class I come from a working class family yeah. in the north of England you don't go to the theater you know it's yeah. not what you do there's pantomime at Christmas once a year you know but even then it was expensive we, we only ever went on school trips so I don't know it's just it seems something magical and I was attracted to the magical I think and my dad um was an amateur musician so so he so in the north of England especially in the 1970s and 80s 60s 70s 80s um if you were a working class kid especially male and you're into music you generally learn a brass instrument and um, became a member of a brass band, especially if you're in, in the north. So that's what my dad did. And he became very proficient and he was extremely good at playing the cornet. And that brass banding and his musicianship kind of um, guided our lives somewhat. Um, and so I had music all around me and the idea of music all around me all the time. And I went to brass band shows like all the time, <laughs> you know, so that was my version of theatre, really. But obviously music was was much to do that. Plus, my dad was in a Mersey band in the 60s. <laughs> so he played at the Cavern because he's from Liverpool. My family are from Liverpool. He's from Liverpool. He played at the Cavern during the time of the Beatles and all that. Um, with a band called the Almost Blues, but um, <laughs> he got chucked out of the band for some argument, you know, and that was yeah. into that. So brass bands with our, was our life. So, so, so my sort of so yeah. So music and theatre were definitely where I was as a child. Yeah, 
And writing, I started writing when I was a teenager, as most teenagers do, let's face right. it. With our were you posts. doing it like journaling or were you doing it like, oh, theater, like I want to write stuff to like, because you're, I mean, theater and music both sort of encourage both performance. And at a certain point you do that enough and you're like, I think I might have something to say. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly that. I mean, when I was in theatre as a grown up, I didn't really work as an actor per se. I worked in devised theatre where I was creating my own work. So, so very much sort of wanted to be the creator, yeah. as it were. And that was, so I would be writing, but it would be writing to take into a rehearsal studio to three or four other people and go, hey guys, I've written this down. Let's try and improvise around this and find uh, find our way through this world. But I started writing as a teenager and I started writing um, kind of poetry. So yeah, kind of yeah, sad. Yeah, what you do, yeah. <laughs> and then I had an English teacher I really liked and she asked me if I wanted to do some creative writing and I said, yeah. And I did one story, just one story. And she loved it. And I'll never forget it. I was, what, 15? And she wrote on this story. Um, it was called A Portrait. And you had to write a portrait of someone, of, of sure, a figure. Sure. I chose some old guy um, sitting in his living room and all the things around him. And it was very descriptive. I'm sure it was absolutely awful, but at the yeah. time... I thought it was the bee's knees and it, she really loved it. And she wrote on the, on the piece of paper that I handed in, um, what can I say, Nydia, I cried. And I thought, right, that's it. This, so I'd always wanted to do theatre and I thought, well, that's it now. I want to do writing. <laughs> so you're a sucker for praise. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not good at it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm not gonna make my, I mean, I'll make myself look an idiot for something I'm good at, but not for something I'm, I'm not good at. <laughs> so, so then I wrote another story thinking being really encouraged. I wrote another story and I handed that in and it got a really bad mark. And that was the end of writing for me. And I was convinced that you had to be clever to be a writer and I just wasn't clever enough. And I could do theatre and I, I could throw myself about a stage and I could uh, make, make shit up basically yeah. in, in that way. Yeah. And that would work. And people seemed to clap and they seemed to say I was good at it and stuff. So I kind of stuck with the theatre for a really, really long time. Because basically I really, I mean, like many people, I think, uh, in the 1980s I don't know if it was the same in the states but you know uh, things weren't great over here with you know Thatcher and all that kind yeah. of stuff we had Reagan yeah I get it yeah yeah, yeah. We, so we had all this rubbish going on and a lot of um, strikes going on my dad lost his job and all that and there was a lot of teacher strikes at schools yeah. so my school was closed a lot of the time so um, and we weren't really encouraged to attend classes because the teachers were on strike, they were fighting for their livelihoods, you know, yeah. what could they um, And that was fine with me because I, frankly, I hated school. So well, it a lot, I mean, I don't know if it was like that over, uh, over there. I mean, I have a bunch of friends and I've traveled, but it was, it was a little bit later, but that was sort of that, the punk rock stuff led into like the aesthetic of grunge and this sort of DIY, dirty, do it yourself, rough edge bullshit. And like, the idea of waiting for somebody to allow you to make something was just not a thing, right? Like it just was not a thing. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think also, if you were a kid who fancied themselves a little bit as being creative, which I certainly did. Yeah, myself clearly. Bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wanted to um, be an outsider, right? You wanted to hook on to the, the life of the outsider. And so, so, so I had to be miserable and hate school and I yeah. did. And, you know, I, I had to be cut class. And so I did. Yeah. You know, I had to hide in the toilets and not go to yeah. maths. But I mean, that's the DIY aesthetic, right? It's like, I don't yeah. need a school or an organization or a company to tell me that I can make something and do something. Like, that's even so though, true. you know, we look back and it's like, oh, yeah, punk rock and all that shit was put out by labels and business and blah, blah, blah. But like the aesthetic of it was not that. No, no, not at all. And it was very, very seductive. Yeah. It's very seductive. When you're a lost teenager full of angst, it's extremely seductive, isn't yeah. it? And um, Even and when you're a middle-aged person, it's a little oh, yeah. seductive. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and I think I've mentioned to you before that I was a massive David Bowie fan, and he was yeah. like my hero from like the age of, what, 12, 13 yeah. So I used to just basically spend my days with my head between my speakers listening to Bowie, and 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 that would and that would feed into this. I had, and that fed me because it fed me literature. It told me what to read. Right. You know. Yeah. So, and so, so, so I got a really good education through David Bowie. Yeah. Telling me you like school. You just liked your school. Yeah. My bedroom school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I always find it interesting when people tell me, like, they, di they didn't like school. Because, you know, I like school to a certain part, but I also like this other, like, I like discovering underground clubs where, like, people were doing readings and, you know, shit like that. And just being exposed into that world. And, like, most of the literature on my bookshelves come from not things that I learned in school. I mean, school was very important, but it was, like, this other thing. And I find that when people say they don't like school, they end up saying things like what you said, which is, no, I really like learning a lot. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly that. So, um, yeah, just finding books by myself, yeah. you know, and, and, and I felt that was so much more important to me uh, as a, a teenager than school. Of course, the downside to that was not getting the exams. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the downside. But I have to say... I think I, I, I lucked out a lot throughout a lot of my sort of younger days because I left school with, with terrible qualifications, like, like failed everything because I didn't try, you know, <laughs> and yet managed to work in theatre from being quite a young age, you know, first of all, doing community theatre, then, then sort of learning about more sort of creative work like mask work and, and devised work and then going sure. on to live in Paris for 10 years after after going to the Lecoq school so um but so I always know, tell I people that. like that's but like this is why I hate school and I was a teacher both middle school and college is like failure is such a weird thing right because you didn't like figuring out where you learn and where your stuff is, is what we should be doing. Right. And, but like, you're made to feel like you did not do well in a thing because you discovered that thing was not the thing that did it for you. Like that's actually a discovery, not a failure. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, that's a really good way of putting it. That is right. absolutely true. But one thing it did make me feel because I, I, I wasn't interested in 
the academic side at a ridiculously young age you know I was so young I mean we were what you know we're 18 when we leave school you know uh, a lot of my friends left at 16 I, I did stay on but you know we're so young and I just really wasn't interested in in being academic because and this is really important I think because I was really scared that I'd fail at it yeah. so I just if I ignore it it might just go away yeah you know, uh, and I knew that I was good at throwing myself around at like um, a, yeah. a drama studio, and so 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 I could do that. And I, I've talked about this on the show before. My uncle is a mechanic, and when he was like ten, he would take apart the family cars. This is back when before computers were in cars and stuff, and he would put it back together, like literally. And I've told folks like he doesn't need to learn how to write a fucking personal essay. Like that dude was somebody who, but somehow we privileged this one. Th- and not that he shouldn't have the opportunity. That's just not yeah. where his aesthetic was. And, and, and to assume that you can't have a depth of thought and emotion and things like that by exploring, you know, by being somebody that takes things apart and puts them back together, I think is, is a ridiculous construct. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I think my problem is as a young person is I was very jealous of people who were academic and I kind of wanted to be, but I was too scared to be. Sure. And, you know, and so that's why um, I, so getting back to the writing really, that's why I stopped writing, except for I wasn't, I didn't stop writing because I yeah. always wrote stuff for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You stopped letting other people see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, so one of the yeah one of the things that I've talked about with people part of the reason I wanted to, to to sort of delve through that is like as I've interviewed people over the years I'm always like people that come from theater television movie film backgrounds who gravitate back into novel writing always have it like I'm going to say this word and it's not true but an easier time constructing scenes and because their their world is literally both you have a set amount of time right in a play look, you got this many minutes in act one and like things need to hit where they need to hit and you need to build a world in that time. So you have a construct already into which to build. Whereas just people who write, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, right? Like we're like, I got a hundred pages and you're like, you got four, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, so as you gravitated into uh, uh, into writing a, a girl made of air and like start getting into novel writing, did you find all of that education that you had done in those other ways helpful as you started writing hey there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you you can put it on your cut melanie linsky i wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet jason ritter i can break things and pick locks and kill people michael stuhlbarg the whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better ari grainer no don't whet its appetite what are you an idiot me justin bartha that's not just any egg cream that's a lemke's special and all narrated by the hilarious richard kind this is the story of harry dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Well, I did and I didn't. So, 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 so yes and no. I think what you say is right because you're very, very aware of that. The like you say, the time constraint. What you know, you've got yeah. an hour, you've got a beginning, a middle, and an end. You've got to create this story and create this world and have people live it with you. So yeah, of course. I mean, I've been doing that for years. So yeah, that definitely, definitely helped me when I was writing fiction. Um, but I started writing fiction because I left Paris where I'd lived for 10 years and worked in theatre with my own theatre company for 10 years. And I moved back to London and I didn't have anybody here. But like I'd, <laughs> I'd stayed with a couple of friends, but you know, I had nobody in theatre here. And so I just started writing short stories. And then I thought, oh, I'm really enjoying this after I had like 25 notebooks full of short stories. <laughs> that nobody and, had seen, yeah. right? No, 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 nobody has seen them. I love, no, no, of course not, Brenda. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I started getting prouder of them. Yeah. And I started thinking, oh, this one's really good. And I started wanting to show them to people after a while. Um, and so I did um, a couple of creative writing short courses. And that absolutely convinced me that I'd been doing theatre for all these years and it was always writing that I wanted to do yeah. and it was my fear that was stopping me from doing it and it all it was like the scales fell away from my eyes I suddenly never wanted to walk a stage again and just wanted to um, tap at a keyboard for the rest of my life so you know and then I went to university at the age of 40 to do a creative writing degree and um I got a first and that's where I started writing A Girl Made of Air. That's amazing. And so tell me real quickly, what's that book about? Because there is, I mean, this is a short version of things, but like some of this is from experiences in your life. I mean, it's, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but right? Like you're sort of writing about places and things that have happened. So it's about, um, so th the book in general is about abandonment. It's about how we tell our stories and how we receive our own stories. So it's about inherited um, history, inherited trauma. So it's interesting what you were saying about um, your family moving around America and how that will affect you because it yeah. will always affect you, your inherited history. Yeah. So it's about that. But, you know, um, the idea is it's about a girl who was born into the circus. She's <laughs> abandoned by her mother um, and this magical person with bright red hair who happens to be the tightrope walker, uh, the numbers, <laughs> adopts her and teaches her how to be the greatest phenambulist in the world. So then she tours with this um, two-bit sort of little circus around England a child is lost she feels guilty um, eventually this after much tragedy this takes her off to the states where she goes to Coney Island to look for this lost child um, still using her, her her wits her wits on the tightrope yeah so and all the way through it's imbued with folk stories as well so it's peppered throughout with little folk stories called um tales told by serendipity wilson serendipity wilson is this magical woman who who kind of adopts her and teaches her the tightrope 
um, our, our narrator, who is a nameless narrator. Um, and she comes from the Isle of Man, and that's why <laughs> she's got magical hair, because she's supposed to be the ancestor of Mananam MacLear, who founded the Isle of Man in ancient times. And she tells our nameless narrator throughout her childhood all these folklore stories, which are real folk stories that I took and sort yeah. of reworked and, and rewrote um, as kind of lessons in life. Yeah. Really. You got to do little flash fiction short stories in your novel. Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> that was really, really important to me that that yeah. was going to be in there because although it, it was one of those things, and I think people do say this with your first novel, you want to throw everything at it. Yeah. And I literally wanted to throw all my interests at yeah. it. You know, I wanted everything in there. So circus, because obviously I come from a physical theater background. Yeah. So I'm used to like um, performing in um, not big tops, but certainly tents and outside and with yeah. circus. Performers, although I'm not a circus performer myself. Yeah. I, I've, I've worked with circus performers. Um, well, that's what I meant by the book. Like this book is like everybody's first book is sort of no matter how, at least in fiction. And again, I always tell folks like, don't read fiction and think it's a one-to-one. -one. Like people just have questions and things in their life and they're exploring them in the world. And sometimes, sometimes it is direct, but a lot of times it's just sort of like a nebulous, like, oh, here's a feeling I have. And I want to explore this feeling. And this feeling comes from, you know, I, like I, for instance, I find it really interesting that like your dad was a musician and then he got kicked out of his band and you end up as a writer. Like you can't be thrown out of the theater if you start it and write it. Right. Like, so I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but like you can imagine as a kid being like, well, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Yeah, right? that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and so say that yeah that's why i'm such a uh what's the word I'm looking for you know uh, 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 a horror to work with all of yeah. Yeah. you ain't ringo you're john and paul <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. and so yeah. The sort of joke with the books is that it all like those first books are always they're not autobiographical, but I think that the questions that you explore in your first book, at least just from what I've understood from writers, tends to be more directly correlated to your life in that first one, just because there are th that's the world you want to spend time in. You're trying to understand everything and like make sense of it and also give purpose to other people who may not understand you. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. Yeah. It's like you say, I mean, um, if, if you follow, if you pull all the threads and follow all the threads, you'll absolutely find, you know, bits of the writer's personality and history within, yeah. certainly within the first novel, even though it's, it's far from, very, yeah. very far from being autobiographical in any way whatsoever. Right. But those worlds are are all there like the, yeah. the like because i lived on the isle of man as a as a small child so um i was obsessed with the fairies and monks folklore so that had to go in yeah i'm interested in the circus because i'm a performer and i think think of the circus as the first ever form of sort of spectacle so yeah. that had to go in. yeah so yeah if you're going to spend two years, three years, five years of your life making a world, it should be one you're interested in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it took it took a good seven to eight years to write A Girl Made of Air. So, you yeah. Know, Everybody's first book takes about a decade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true. It's, yeah. I've, just, I've never heard a story. I mean, very rare cases where you hear it, but most of the time it's like a decade. And 
the joke on the show is you have four books that you've written before your first book's published. Sometimes you've just rewritten your first book five times. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I, definitely, I definitely think that's there's a big truth in that. Yeah. yeah. That's the only thing I know about writing. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure that's there, yeah, yeah. So A Girl Made of Air actually, it came out last year, right? Like, So it's available right now for everybody to get everywhere. It is indeed. So it came out in the UK in September last year. It came out in the States and in Canada in June this year. So it's quite new in, in the States. And in, in the UK, the paperback is out in a month and a bit in September. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so that's exciting to be, I'll finally be able to sing Paperback Writer. And um, <laughs> that's um, exciting. Yeah. Well, it was fantastic talking to you. You are a goddamn delight. And I could just talk to you all day long. Um, and I'm excited to read the book because uh, I, I tend to like, Neil Gaiman got me into these sort of fantastical kinds of books that I typically hadn't read and when I read about this I'm like oh shit this sounds like one I'm really gonna enjoy it brings a lot of things together that I really like oh I really hope you enjoy it yeah I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan as well he's uh it's such, such a he writes beautiful he writes beautiful books yeah yeah I think there's a book called Graveyards I think is oh yeah the great the graveyard book oh yeah oh. and I, I listened to it as an audiobook and when I saw this I don't know if they're correlated but like I was like, oh, this feels like I love that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this book. Like, this feels like that same kind of fantastical journey oh. of like, not childhood, but like just sort of discovery of self. There's discovery of self. It, there's some trauma in there as well. But I don't think Gaiman um, uh, shies away from that either himself. It's actually, it actually, I'm, I'm not, I can't speak too much about it, but it did get, um, my book has been optioned for TV. Ooh. And um, they did sort of mention Gaiman. Really? Um, in the option, they said they thought it, um, yeah, it reminded them. Well, that's them. good. I did not, as people know, I don't do any research. So I'm glad that I saw what other people saw. That <laughs> You're yeah, now getting yeah. lots of stuff. And again, not it's not directly, but it's just in that neighborhood of like, oh, like I tend to like that kind of stuff. And I didn't realize it. And so I'm really looking forward to reading like and getting lost in that sort of semi-fantastical, also real world where are we because you know and then we'll get out of here but like as you get older I don't know if you have this experience but like you begin to look back on your childhood and you begin to sort of process trauma from earlier in different ways and like everything you thought you knew suddenly becomes something really different like that's some shit they don't tell you that's going to happen as an adult yeah absolutely <laughs> I think that's true and I think one way of dealing with it is very much for me anyway is to bring in those magical stories yeah. that I loved as a kid to bring them in and, and it's like you said something earlier about um stories being a way that we understand ourselves and understand yeah. life and I think folk stories particularly mythology they were the first ever stories yeah. and people took them so they could work their way through things yeah. and understand emotions and uh, and tragedies and traumas yeah and, you know, we like we talk about these kinds of books. And again, like I'm I'm not a literary scholar, so maybe I'll be wrong about this. But those kinds of books like that have these kinds of elements are oftentimes I feel like when awards come up or when people talk about serious literature, like they don't end up in the discussion. And I'm like, there's a lot of work being done in books like that, like a lot of work that it's really hard to both tell a good story, also sort of be, you know, psychologically um 
have a depth to it without it being like, let me tell you how you should think, right? Like it's more of an exploration of that stuff. Like that is not fucking easy to do. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, mean, I, I think it, it depends on uh, um, what, what sort of gets your creative juices going, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine not wanting to write like that. You yeah. know, I can't imagine not wanting to bring... I mean, certainly when I was doing theatre, I always described the theatre work I was doing as kind of a hyper reality, more like a dream reality yeah. than than reality. But again, it was it was so imbued with um, sort of um, human tragedy, if you like. You know, yeah. the the feet. It was. It, I think the books I like to read the most have magic within them but they are fiercely human at the same yeah, time that's what i mean that's exactly you've said it way better than i did yeah <laughs> it, i mean because you know i the sort of the the one of the premises of the show is that i think being human the the state of humanity being a human being is melancholy right is that there yeah. is because you're born dying, there is this always sense of like loss and end. And it's because of that, that those moments of either heightened height or lowest lows are so much more important because you know, time is an arrow and it's limited. And so if you really are in those moments, they become the thing that make us who we are, even though most of that stretch is sort of like boring melancholy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I'm a big fan of um, William Blake. And um, I, I love the way that William Blake, off, I mean, his whole premise and his whole mythology comes from this idea of imagination is everything. Yeah. You know, imagination is everything and do not, don't, don't disregard it. Yeah. You know, because it will bring you answers and it will bring you joy and it will bring you beauty, you know. Yeah. And it's important for emotional health. This is a thing I've learned in my mid 40s is that, you know, that is it's how we develop empathy. It's how you give yourself grace. It's how you allow other people it's how you allow yourself to understand other people and not just assume that your myopic view that's coming out of this brain into the world is everything like that is, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's why we try to do that with kids so much, right? Like you want them to play and imagine as kids and then you're an adult and you're like, well, fucking quit that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, in fact, it's, it's all you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Then the, yeah, the bills show up and you're like, I wish I hit the lottery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this has been lovely and fantastic. Uh, you are wonderful. I cannot wait to read this book. Um, and I'm excited to see what you do next. I don't ask people that because it's the worst question you can ask a writer, but I'm excited to see where you go from here. So thanks for coming Thank on today. Thank you so much. It's been great. Well, there you have it. That was Nadia Hetherington uh, talking about her book, A Girl Made of Air. Anytime I get to talk about punk rock and DIY stuff, I'm a happy dude. Before we get out of here, just a couple of reminders. If you liked what you saw and heard today, do us those two favors we talked about at the top of the show. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm looking at you, Apple listeners. And tell your friends about us. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother Mass Sleep With podcast with host our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Holly McLear. Don't forget these video podcasts, Mondays and Fridays-ish. Got a bunch of them coming out 
You can always catch him on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can catch him over at theridersjam.com, or you can listen to the audio wherever you listen to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. Speaking of that, every Wednesday, new episodes. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at the Riders Jam. Till the next time, I'll see you around the internet. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.